Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to The Final Curtain. Ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. I'm Shirley Welsh, host of Death Cafe Dunedin, where people meet in all sorts of places to drink tea, eat cake and discuss death. In this program, we break the taboo around talking about death and hear firsthand from New Zealanders about their experiences and their perspectives. Today I'm talking to Jeff. In 1975, when Jeff was 14, his dad Richard and two crew members set sail from Gisborne to Dunedin in a sailboat. They intended to stop off in Christchurch. However, Jeff's dad never arrived. Last week, I interviewed Jeff's sister, Rachel, and the week before that, his mum, Mary. Today, Jeff tells his story from his perspective. So, Jeff... Did you get to see the boat that your dad set sail in? Yeah, yeah, I, I went up there. Dad took me up um, to survey the boat, and so he bought the tools and, and he did it himself, and and, uh, and we had a book. I, I read parts of the book. I had to survey small boats, and, um, and so we flew up there, and uh, he, you know, I remember on the flight he was pointing out all these geographical features, you know, because he was, uh, you know, interested in that stuff. Um, I think he was studying at university or he had studied geology at the time, around that time. Yeah, so we went up and had a look at the boat. And what did you think of it? Uh, Well, it was small. Um, It was 28 foot. Um, It was a catch. had two masts. Um, It... uh, it was a bit of a tub, I think. It had been used for fishing. It was a horrible green colour inside, and it stunk of fish and diesel. Yeah. And so after your dad surveyed it, then what happened? We flew back down to Dunedin, um, and then at some point, I guess, they decided to buy it. And, yeah. and then they went up. I didn't go on that. Obviously. So the next time you were associated with the boat was to go up to Christchurch to meet your dad. That's right. And you were with your mum and your siblings. That's right. So do you remember that? Yes, yes. Tell me what happened then. Well, we went up there and um, and waited, and he he didn't didn't arrive. Um, and I think I don't think we stayed there very long, maybe a few days. Um, but we had to get back. I think mum had to go to work and stuff like that so um, I guess at the time I thought we should have waited longer because you know and how did you feel about leaving after a few days well I thought you know it was a long trip I couldn't see you know I think I think it was about a week I guess um um, I I think we should have stayed longer because I was expecting him to arrive. But yeah, but we just made another plan and went back. 
Did it occur to you that he might not arrive? Yeah, that that did occur to me. I mean, I thought, I you know, I kind of wondered if that kind of thing would happen to us, you know, at the time. So, yeah. And at that stage, you were how old? Oh, I think I was 14 or around right. that. Yeah. And so you went back home to Dunedin without having met your dad. And when you came home, what was that like? Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it was a bit quiet. Mum was, you know... Um, not happy, and you know, uh, you know, and I, and I guess everybody's kind of wondering at that point, you know, because um, <clears throat> we hadn't heard anything. So, yeah. So, describe your dad to me. Uh, well, he was um, uh, he was in the navy at some point. He uh, he was a Queen Scout. Um, he. Uh, was a meteorologist working I remember he was working in Invercargill at the airport uh, before we went over to the Chatham Islands we lived on the Chatham Islands for four or five years um, uh, so he's very practical you know he he could build boats um, in fact he, he did start actually building uh, a, a real yacht you know that you could had a cabin and you could live in um, but I think it that was on the Chatham Islands, and it was very difficult to get bits, wood, anything, really. Uh, but he did build some small sailboats. Um, and, you know, he was... Yeah, he was very practical. He was also, uh, you know, sort of Id- ideological. He had this sort of, um, uh, you know... Don't exploit people. Be nice. You know, um, um, you know, be righteous and all that sort of thing. You know. But he, you know, gave his religion was a choice and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. So, what was a childhood with your dad in it like? I mean, you've, I remember you describing to me how. He said about painting the house for sale, and your role in that. Yeah, um, so that was well, that was uh, fairly unusual, but it was the practical side of him. It was a two-story house and uh, you know rough cast, and he strung up a bosun's chair, which is just a piece of well, a little plank with some rope and and a pulley, and he hauled me up, you know, and gave me some paint and a bucket, and yeah, it was pretty terrifying it didn't last long I didn't get far um, yeah uh, it was, probably wasn't very safe but you know so when he didn't come back did your life change dramatically <clears throat> yeah it kind of did I mean uh, at the same time I started high school and um yeah, there were, there were there were lots of sort of subtle changes. Um, lots of people talking to me, you know, um, telling me stuff, and you know, um, there was, you know, I mean, there's some some, and I, and I did get, you know, some special treatment at school and things like that. Um, some of the teachers were really good um, at Bayfield. Um, 
uh, and but also there was you know I mean there was a lot of a lot of bullying going on around that time. It seemed to be a thing back in the seventies. Um, there was gangs and stuff like that, and um, and that just seemed to ramp up a bit. When I think, and I'm guessing really, I just say, well, you know, a lot of this, a lot of a lot of more, you know, a lot of stuff happened, extra stuff that was maybe due to the fact that they saw me getting some kind of special treatment. I didn't feel it, you know, that I was getting anything special, but you know, um, for example. Um, a teacher, Mr. Campbell, and I can't remember his first name, um, and he was a friend of Dad's, I think. Um, they would have been through Teachers College together, I think. And um, and he arranged for me to have guitar lessons, and um, and it, you know, in my lunch hour with one of the one of the kids at school, um, who turned out to be Malcolm Black, and um, and he's you know I've always kind of uh, you know. He's a special guy, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, gave his time and all that. Other examples of changes in your life? So, for example, did you have to move house or yeah, live we, in different circumstances? Yeah, we because they, they sold the house to buy the boat, basically. Um, well, there was some arrangement going on there. Maybe they mortgaged it or something. I can't. I don't know those details. Um, and so we, at some point, we had to move house because you know. Um, and so we ended up in a state house, I think, in in Cavisham. And so it was a. It was kind of a different. You know, down on the peninsula, we were down on the peninsula, and it, it was a little more isolated. And, and a little more community-like down there at that at that time. You know, this was a while ago, um, and and then so up in Cavisham was a you know was a completely different place really, and um, different people, a whole new set of gangs. <laughs> um, yeah. Are there any standout incidents of that time that you think about? Um. Well, there was one, you know, uh, mum was at work, I think, um, and it was, I think it was after school, um, and for some reason the police came round. Now, I don't know why they came round. I, I thought that, I don't know. Um, but anyway, they came into the house, and I was being smart to them and, you know, and all of that, and um, and, one of, and he punched me, one of the cops punched me, and, yeah, and, and sort of, you know, basically told us to, you know, um, back off and, and then they left. And I, I don't know, I can't remember why they came. Yeah. We weren't doing anything, you know. We were just playing in the house. That's, that's as far as I can remember. <laughs> yeah. So that would have been a very different kind of experience than you might have experienced if you stayed in the community on the peninsula? Oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, we had all. I mean, all our friends were down there. We didn't have, you know, we only saw them at school after that. So. You also described an incident to me of of how you thought there were certain things that you just didn't know, um, and you described applying for a job. Yeah. Um, well, that was a thing, you know, because I got through um, school 
um, and did school certificate. Um, and I, I really just got through. I mean, it was just I just did the work and and I passed, and that was, you know, fine as far as I knew. But when I applied, I wanted to join the air force, and when I applied, they the guy who interviewed me basically says, "Well, you know, you you know, um, your marks aren't good enough. I mean, you, you've got all you passed everything, but we really only want people with excellent on everything, you know." And I just simply didn't know that either. That was news to me. Oh, right. And if I'd known that, um, you know. Because <laughs> you certainly had the aptitude because you've now got a PhD in spatiotemporal information science. Yeah, well, so, information <laughs> science, yeah. <laughs> so perhaps if you'd known that, you would have worked harder at school. Yeah, that's right. And I, <laughs> I kind of, yeah, so after that, I, you know, that, that was kind of a lesson, I guess, and I always tried to sort of, you know, apply myself when I, when there was something to be done. You know, do the work. So, the boat never arrived. Um, what do you think happened to the boat? <clears throat> um, well, we we have no really nothing to go on um, about that, and there was no wreckage found. Um, so, uh, you know, we. I guess the only conclusion is that it went down pretty quickly. Um, whether it was just swamped and bad weather, or you know, it, it suffered, you know, some some structural failure or whatever, um, or it maybe hit something in the water, like a log or a, you know, um, uh, you know, some something, or got hit by another boat, maybe a freighter in the middle of the night. You just you just don't know, but you always wonder, you know, what else could it have been? You know, what other things could have happened? And um, uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I, there, there was talk. Um, I I recall some mention in one of the newspaper clippings um, at the time that uh, of some freighter ship that was in the area at the time. Um, but they and they tried to contact, uh, you know, at a later date they tried to get hold of the, the the people on the ship and they didn't succeed and they didn't get any answer or whatever. They were trying to sort of, you know, um, maybe investigate that. But yeah, I'm just talking off the top of my head now. I, I, I'd have to go back and look at all that stuff. So on the the boat. Was there a radio or some sort of method of communicating with somebody? Um, oh, well, I believe there was a radio. Um, I don't know what it was or how good it was. Um, and they had flares, and I think that was about it. And they would have had some. They had some life rafts. I'm pretty sure they would have had a life raft, um, but that would have been it. There was nothing else in those days. So there was no distress signal from the boat. There was. There was um, some ham radio um, operator um, reported picking up a call, a Mayday call, um, and he he heard it, and then he heard um, apparently heard someone else answering it. Um, so he didn't, um, you know, interfere with that. Um, but nothing came of it. Um, 
and it wasn't enough to start a search or anything like that. So, so this was forty-five years ago now, yeah. and still nothing. No word of the boat or nothing. Do you feel cross with your dad that he took this dangerous trip down the coast? Um, not really. No, I, I don't. No, I've never really sort of. I, you know, I, my my only. I mean, I kind of question. Oh well, you know, was it really the right thing to do? In hindsight, yeah, okay. Um, where did you? You know, did they do a shakedown cruise? You know, could could they have um, been better prepared and all that sort of thing? I mean, it wasn't such a big deal uh, the whole you know sailing around the world in a little boat type thing was you know something that he was very into and I've read some of those books as well and um, and, I, and I guess he felt that he could do it and that he was happy with it but perhaps you know there was a bit, bit too much uh, interest in getting there as soon as possible uh, you know, and and not sort of being a bit more careful, if you know what I mean. Like they, they basically piled everything onto the boat and left. You know, um, so perhaps there was something there. Now you have your own fourteen-year-old son. Yeah. Um, do you feel sad when you look at him and see that he's got you as a dad, and you never had a dad? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I no, I don't feel sad. I mean, I, I, um, I, I, I do remind them, you know, uh, that you know. Well, you know, like it might be a bit inconvenient for you now that I'm not letting you play games, but uh, you know, I think it's the best thing. You know, play computer games because he loves them. Uh, um, it, I didn't have that kind of problem. But, you know, I mean, I really didn't have anyone to stop me doing whatever I wanted, basically, you know, so, yeah. How do you think the trauma of losing your dad affected you? Um, well, you know, it, uh, I, I guess it kind of, is something that you stays with you, you know. You, it pops up now and again, and and um, you know throughout the forty-five years, you know the things um, that remind you and all that stuff. And um, um, I, I wouldn't know what what I would have been like, what it would have been like, you know. So I. I can't really say very much about it. I mean, I, I I've been told that it, you know, that sort of trauma like that can, you know, change the brain physically and all that, and you respond differently to things. But I, I don't know. So, how did you manage to overcome the sudden disappearance of your dad? So you're a teenage boy, you've got this practical, adventurous dad, and suddenly he's just not there anymore. Yeah, I don't know if you if there was ever a point where you 
well, for me anyway, we overcome it and you, you move on. I, I, I mean, I don't... I don't think there was any kind of point in time where I'd say, oh, you know, I'm over it. You know, I don't think that happens. I, I don't know. Perhaps I mean more, how did you survive it? How did you endure this sudden change in your life? Um, you just... You know, it's just day by day, I guess, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, you, um, there's lots of changes. There's lots of new things you have to deal with. Um, and, you know, there's lots of people talking to us and stuff and giving us advice and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, there's changes in lifestyle. Um, but you just got on with it. Well, I think we did. I mean, mm. that was the practical side of everything. It was a very practical existence. I mean, we lived on Chatham Islands, you know, prior to that. That was, you know, fairly um, uh, isolated. So, you know, I don't think we knew very much about the real world, <laughs> what went on in the real world while we were there. You know, so uh, everything was practical. We made our own toys and all that sort of stuff, you know, pretty much. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. You've given a glimpse of what it was like through, for a teenage boy um, to lose his dad and how it affected your, your life, but how you got on with it and have managed to be the man today that he would be proud of. So thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to The Final Curtain, ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. Podcasts from this series are available online at oar.org.nz and from the accessmedia.nz app. At Death Café Dunedin, the conversation continues. You can join that conversation by listening to other New Zealanders tell their stories about death and, if you want to, by sharing yours. Look for Death Café Dunedin on Facebook for updates and meeting times. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.